Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our Countercultural Sermon Series. Countercultural is a study of the Beatitudes and explores our call to be different. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, today is a unique day in this series that we've been in for 10 weeks. It's countercultural, and we're going we're gonna to wrap up this series. I would encourage you that if you've missed some weeks, you can listen to uh, the messages on our podcast. You can still pick up books if you want to. Uh, just let us know at the office, and we'll make them available to you, because if you want to go back through that, uh, I encourage you to do so. Uh, I, I, one of the things that uh, has struck me is that as we've walked through this series from the Beatitudes out of Matthew 5, you know, we've seen time and time again that God's calling us to live countercultural lives. And, uh, you know, the feedback, the encouragement that we've received, uh, how this is impacting lives has just been amazing and, and really encouraging for us as a staff uh, as we leave this church, but also just encouraging to see the, the positive growth in people's lives. And, and people have shared with me stories. They've given me some emails or texts along the way just to encourage me, and that's just been a blessing. But today, I want to share with you through some live testimonies from people who have shared how they're living a countercultural life. So I'm going to invite Robin Gibson to come up and join me, and she's going to share a little bit of her, her testimony. Uh, I'm just going to share a little bit of your bio as you come up, Robin. Uh, Robin and Reed are uh, natives of Buffalo, New York. They've uh, lived here in Connecticut for the past 11 years and uh, been followers of Jesus for 41 years. You guys have been married for 40 years, and uh, you've got three married kids and nine grandkids. That's so cool. And uh, you're a retired teacher. You just retired last June, and um, you're excited to see what God has. And, and I tell you what, when you shared that with me, uh, this story, that was just amazing. Uh, and so I'm excited to, to hear this story again and let everybody else hear it. Okay. Good morning, everybody. I call this Michael's story. Years ago, Reed and I moved our young family to a quiet neighborhood in Grand Island, New York. Shortly after we were living in our first home, new neighbors moved in across the street, a single mom and her teenage son. It was clear from the beginning that Michael was a wild teen. At 15 years old, he would sit on his front porch and shoot the birds out of the trees with a pellet gun. He had lots of friends coming over, many of them girls, at all hours of the day and night. As a matter of fact, Mike preferred the night. Our bedroom window was across from his driveway and we spent many nights awake listening to his parties. Laughing, screaming, drinking, fighting. It was like being inside a bad sitcom. It was more than a little annoying. And one day after another frustrating night of little sleep, I asked the Lord, why did he have to move in right across the street from us? I heard the, Lord, the voice of the Lord tell me, because I trust you to pray for him. Oh, I felt convicted. So I prayed, sometimes through gritted teeth. And when Michael started driving, all kinds of vehicles roared up and down the street with Mike at the wheel. Cars, trucks, street bikes, you name it. Michael and his friends were reckless, and the neighbors were more than a little fed up. You see, Mike never took into consideration any consequences 
for his actions. Then one night, Mike got in a fight with one of his girlfriends and threw her out the front door into the bushes. Someone called the cops and when they arrived, Mike wouldn't open the door. They pushed their way in and Mike slammed the door on the officer's elbow. Immediately, an army of cops broke down the door and from my front porch, I could hear them beating him and him screaming. Next, an ambulance pulled up and they carried Mike out of the house. I heard one of the EMTs say, he's flatlined. Mike was dying right in front of me. Thank you. I heard God's familiar voice say, pray daughter, and I did. The reality that he could actually die without knowing the Lord pierced me to the core that night. And soon after, I started having dreams that I was sharing the gospel with Mike. I would wake up and write down everything I had said to him in my dreams. It was always in a hospital or in a jail where I would lay out the message of God's love for him and Jesus' sacrifice. This went on for years. In my heart, I just knew that one day I would share the love of God with him and it was going to be in a hospital or a jail. After 25 years of living across the street from Michael, Reed got transferred and we moved to Connecticut. Our son and daughter-in-law bought our house across from Mike. Mike was an adult drug addict at this time with a long rap sheet. He ended up getting arrested for stealing cars all over, from cars all over the neighborhood. He skipped our house. Reed and I came home for a family visit and our son Josh told me about Michael's arrest and that he was in jail. I knew the moment had arrived. I asked Josh to take me to the Erie County Holding Center to talk with Mike. This was not a good place. Josh was hesitant to take me there, but he knew that when God told me to go, we had to go. After going through some serious security, I was led into a room with all the inmates and their visitors. Michael was shocked to see me sitting in front of him. He asked me, why, why are you here? And I said, God needs to tell you some things, Mike, and I now have 29 minutes left to give you his message, so be quiet and listen. <laughs> I told him how very much God loved him and that he forgives him for all of his bad decisions and wrong choices that he's ever made, and that he wants him to let him into his heart and allow Jesus to take the wheel. We prayed together, and he did just that. I noticed others in the room looking at me and nodding their heads and smiling, as if to encourage me on, and I knew that God had provided prayer warriors right in that visitor's room. I promised Mike I would stay in touch no matter what happened to him, and I did. I sent him a Bible and some great reading material to help him along on his new journey. I wrote to him every other week while he was incarcerated, and he wrote me back. And when he finally got out of jail, we talked and texted with each other. Mike started going to a church. He talked about God openly on Facebook. Yeah. It was such a turnaround. His friends and family could clearly see the change in him. He got engaged, and his fiance and him had a little baby girl this past June. 
He was such a proud dad with a million pictures on Facebook of him and Maddie. In September, this past September, I, I planned a trip to Buffalo for my birthday. I made plans to stop and see Mike across the street while I was visiting Josh and his family. The day after I arrived, Mike died on my birthday. Mike overdosed on heroin. He was pulled by the father of lies and made that fatal decision that cost him his life on this earth. When I got the call, I was very sad that Mike lost a battle with drugs, but I rejoiced because I knew exactly where he went, yeah. right into the arms of his Lord. God gave him a second chance, and in those extended years of life, Mike made the best decision of his life. All this to say that it, it is countercultural to pray for those who persecute you. It's countercultural to go into a prison cell to pray with someone that has tormented your neighborhood. It goes against the flow of our society to take the time for the least of these. But the ripple effect of doing so has spread outward all the way into eternity. So if you hear that still small voice in your spirit to pray, to speak truth into someone's life, or to go out of your comfort zone, listen and obey, because you never know how God's going to use it. Michael's story of redemption didn't stop at his death. His fiance now got to hear about Jesus when I visited her. And I've been keeping in touch with her. She now wants to go to church. Last week, my daughter-in-law went across the street and brought her some soup for dinner. She plans to invite her to a women's ministry at her church. Michael's story continues, and the legacy of redemption lives on. Wow. That is an awesome story. Yeah. I know probably people want to ask you a lot of questions. I'm just going to ask you one question, but you can connect with Robin after the service. So, so in there, you knew God said, daughter of God, to you. What does it mean for you to know that your identity is a, is a child of God? Everything. Um, the relationship I have towards a heavenly father that leads and guides and teaches and instructs um, is what my day-to-day -day life uh, is about. Yeah. So when I know in my spirit that he's saying, go, do, say, I'm more afraid not to than to be worried about what someone might think about it because yeah. my father told me. Yeah, no, and, that, and as your story illustrates, eternity was on the line was. for Mike. And so uh, thank you. Thank you for being uh, brave and courageous to follow the countercultural call uh, of Jesus. So can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, I thank you for Robin's story. And Lord, I know there's many more stories like that. And so, Lord, I pray that you will continue to assure her of her identity as your daughter and uh, that she will continue to respond to your call to go, to speak, to do whatever it is that you call her to do. And I pray that we all would uh, learn from her example and embrace that too. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to hear another testimony in a few minutes, but uh, let's just talk about this truth. And, and this morning, what I really want to do for all of you is to encourage you to be able to follow Jesus, to, to walk and live as a child, as a son, as a daughter of God, and, and know that that's how God sees you. And, and so the first thing that I want to say this morning is this. 
You are a child of God. Listen to what we read in the Gospel of John. To all who believed him, meaning Jesus, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So, when you believed in Jesus, when you accepted him, you became a child of God. Your identity changed because now you are either a daughter of God or a son of God. You're, you're God's child. That, that's who you are. And that's so powerful. You know, that's your identity. So this is what I want to say to you. Own that. You, you know, embrace that. Accept that truth. Bask in it because our world doesn't tell you that. You know, the culture that we live in is constantly pushing you away, putting you down, telling you don't measure up, telling you that you're worthless. But God's message in Jesus Christ is that you are priceless, that you are a, a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, with whom God wants to fellowship, to communicate. He wants to hear from you, and he wants to speak to you. You got to own that. As I said, even bask in it because, uh, you know, you didn't earn that. You didn't deserve that. But God grants that to you because he loves you. It's so powerful. You know, we have a good God, a, a good father. Now, think this one through. You know, how do good parents treat their children? You know, just think about that for a while. You know, and look, uh, for all of us who had parents and all of those of us who have been parents, we're not perfect parents, but we have a perfect heavenly father. So, so think that one through. How does, how does a good parent treat their kids? They care for them. They encourage them. They want the best for them. They lavish love on them. Sometimes here at Valley Brook, we sing a song. It's called Good, Good Father. And, and the words, when you sing the words or when you read the words, regardless if you like to sing or not, when you read the words, they speak truth into and over your life because this is what it says. It says, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. It's talking about God. And then it says, and I'm loved by you. That's who I am. You are loved by God. You're loved lavishly. He, he calls you beloved, beloved daughter, beloved son, and he wants the best for you. As one who believes in Jesus, part of your identity is that you are loved by God. And with that love, God wants you to go out into this world knowing that there is nothing absolutely nothing that could ever take his love away from you if you don't believe me read Romans 8 it says neither heights nor depths neither angels nor demons nor anything in all the earth could separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus now not only does God love you lavishly not only does he cherish you as his son as his daughter but what do good parents do to their kids they give them good things they give them good things. I'll make this one note. 
Good parents give their kids what they need, not always what they want. Isn't that right? Yeah, I see some heads shaking. So we have a good, good father who gives us what we need. Listen to this verse. It's not going to be on the screen behind me. It's from, it's from the book of James. It says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father. Every good and perfect gift that you've received as a son, as a daughter of God has come down from the father. And in, in the book of 2 Corinthians, this is what the Bible says to us about God giving us good gifts. It is God who enables us to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own son or daughter by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he's promised. There's so much in that verse. But, but as a son or daughter, you've been commissioned God's commissioned you and he's identified you as part of his family and to guarantee this and your future with God he's placed the Holy Spirit in you so you're getting that you have a good good father who's given you good gifts he's he's commissioned you to be able to follow him he's he's said you're part of my family and he's given you the Holy Spirit one last scripture that just goes to help us understand this from the book of Romans in chapter 8, but before the passages I talked about earlier. The Apostle Paul wrote this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of the glory of God. So as children of God, uh, he gives you his spirit to lead you so that you don't have to be afraid. Look, sometimes the world we live in makes us afraid. But we don't have to walk in fear we've been adopted into God's family he's he's adopted us as his sons and daughters and he's made us heirs to the glory of God for the glory of God so just just think that one through we have a good good father thank you thank you God that you are a good good father to us your sons and daughters you've been given the Holy Spirit I want to talk a little bit more about what the Holy Spirit uh, does for us. I'm going to invite Ed Grabowski to come on up. Ed is a veteran of both the Army and the Navy. Thank you for your service. We appreciate it. And to all the other vets, we thank you. Uh, Ed, uh, Ed works in the private sector now. Um, and uh, oh, Excuse me, government sector. You were in the private sector and back in the government sector. I'm going to give you that. And uh, he's a safety manager. Ed and Katie got married in 2011. Ed, Ed adopted uh, Josh, Katie's son. And Ed has uh, a son uh, from his first marriage, Kevin, uh, who's 29. So, uh, Ed, you, you just shared this story to me in the middle of this series. And I, we got to hear it. So, please, share it with us. Okay, well, like uh, Clark had said, I was both uh, Navy and uh, uh, it was Navy first, and then I was Army. 
spent 21 years as a military guy and you have a certain image in your head of what kind of person that might be. Uh, and then I went into the private sector uh, for about 10 years and that's kind of the world where most folks are. Uh, and so through my professional career in both the military and the private sector, I've always relied upon my skills or my ability to perform, whether it was in school to get the best grades that I could or on the job, I relied on me. When I prayed, I asked God to help me. God, help me pass this test. God, help me get this promotion. It wasn't about what God necessarily wanted. It was for him to help me do what I wanted. And so I have to confess that my motivations were not always pure. And perhaps in many, time, many occasions, it was far from it. Uh, I wanted to be the best so that I could get the credit. And as a military guy, you get all this stuff on your uniform. And the more of that that I had, the better I felt about me. Okay, or to get promoted. And the, the higher you get, the better I felt about me. So it was about me. And when I prayed, it was about me. So I retired from the military and said, okay, great, now I'm gonna go do something else. Didn't really know what that was or what that was really gonna mean. Um, and so I went into the private sector and it really humbled me. Number one, I don't get any more of this stuff. Uh, and so it was a whole nother kind of an experience. But it was more than that too, because in the military, I was able to, to kind of move along and I had a successful career. But while I was in the private sector, I was downsized out of a job twice. I was on unemployment, and here I am with all this stuff behind me, with my degrees, et cetera, and all this stuff. Um, but I wasn't really being very effective. And uh, it really knocked me down a few notches. And that was God preparing me for, for something, I think. Um, and so my employers didn't really appreciate me <laughs> Okay, he putting that out there, right? Uh, I was the safety guy. And the safety guy in most companies, uh, folks don't really want to spend time talking to, especially if there's a problem. And if there's a problem, it's the safety guy that's going to go fix that. So I, as the safety guy, I was downsized out of my job a couple of times. After the second time, I said, well, you know what? I guess I need to get a job with the government. Maybe that's where I'm supposed to be. And lo and behold, out of all the possible things that could have possibly happened for me and for my family, I got a job as an OSHA inspector. I was waiting for that, <laughs> all right? Because I know that for most people, having a visit from OSHA is like having a root canal, <laughs> all right? We really are good guys and we really do care. And we care for the companies and we care for the folks, but I'm not here to plug OSHA right now, <laughs> all right? Uh, but I do wanna say is that Number one, the fact that I even got that job at all was just, just God-given. And everything that if I look behind me to see how that put me into that position, God was preparing me for this job. Now, like I say, being an OSHA inspector and coming and knocking on your door is like having a root canal. So when I show up, people aren't very excited or necessarily <laughs> happy to have somebody come in and, and look at where they're perhaps vulnerable. So it's a situation with a lot of anxiety, sometimes fear, sometimes anger. And here I was all about me, right? So it wasn't about me. And I had to put that aside and I turned it over to God before I ever did my first inspection. 
And so the approach that I've taken to this was instead of praying to God to help me do such and such, like have a great inspection or something like that, I have been and I continue, as this is how I approach things right now, I continue uh, by praying to God to use me to achieve his purpose. Yeah. And that my performance of my duties be a tool for him to reach others. As a result, while folks are not necessarily happy to see me or happy to have an inspection, they have indicated to my managers that they've had a positive experience. So there is some, we're able to kind of get the, the fear and the anxiety and allow a connection that I could not do myself. And I know that. Yes, my wife, she'll tell you. All right, I'm, I'm not that nice of a guy. <laughs> All right, so it's got to be something else at work there. Um, and so, uh, as I reflect on that, and as I was, uh, and I had talked with Clark about this a while back, and as I was thinking about this, I can see from a countercultural perspective that my experience kind of represents being a peacemaker. And I've reflected on that lesson a lot as I, as I put this together, is that through my reliance upon Christ and the Holy Spirit, I'm able to do my job in a way that provides God's love and peace to those with whom I interact and through that process, I am blessed by having a peaceful experience myself. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm going to ask you a question, too, and I would encourage you to connect with Ed afterwards if you want to talk to him about his experience. But, but you know, you, this sense of being empowered by the Holy Spirit to be an a, a OSHA inspector um, is, is, to me, just such a practical application. Just talk about how you sense the, the power of the Holy Spirit in your sure, life. Sure, Absolutely. Well, typically, if I'm going to be going to an inspection, it's not right around the corner from the office, so I have to drive somewhere. And so I'm going to be sitting in the car, and I can listen to the radio and jam along to some tunes or be complaining about the person in front of me who's driving too slow or whatever else. But I find it to be a really great time to just pray, yeah. number one. And so I'm pretty much praying the whole time that it takes me to get where I'm going. And I pray just the way that I was talking is for, for, for God to use me as his tool. Yeah. And through that, I can feel a wave of calmness. come Because I don't know what I'm going to walk into. I mean, it can, be, it can actually be a violent situation. Uh, not typically, but that's, that's a possibility. But certainly having people yell at you or yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff, and nobody likes that. Yeah. So I have total peace by the time I get there wherever it is, I have total peace of whatever I'm going to walk into. I don't know that it's going to be a calm situation, you know, or that those things aren't going to happen. But basically what I have, the thought that I have that goes through my head, so it's not my thought, it's the Holy Spirit talking to me. He said, Ed, you gave me the, you've handed it over to me. Don't worry about it. Just do what you do and let me handle it. And it's, and it's literally a feeling that I get, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll be doing this this week uh, when, I, when I go to work tomorrow. Uh, it, it's what happens, yeah. and it's 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 a phenomenal. It's a it's a sense of calmness that I can't really put into other words than that. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, speaking of prayer, I want to pray for you right Absolutely. now, Father. I thank you for Ed for his testimony of being faithful to the leading of your Holy Spirit, and I pray that for all of us that we would uh, hear your Spirit and that we would follow in that obedience. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. All right. As you can see, Ed's story illustrates my next point, and it's this. You're empowered by God's Spirit. You're empowered by God's Spirit. Jesus promises his 
followers that the Holy Spirit would empower them. In Acts chapter 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this verse specifically was saying that, that the Holy Spirit's going to allow us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth all over the world. But God gives us the power to follow him as countercultural people who follow his leadership, who follow his teaching. Now remember, the Holy Spirit is God, and so the Holy Spirit's all-powerful. The Scripture says, as we already saw, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and helps us. He guides us. He directs us. This is what the Apostle John said when he wrote his first letter, and it's so powerful. He says, the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. I want you to know that. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit that lives in our world, that lives in our culture. We know that Spirit to be, to be uh, Satan, to be the devil. So understand what that Scripture is saying, that the Spirit of God lives in each one of us who believe in Him. That means that we have the power to do things that we never dreamed of or imagined. Now, if it, for some of you, if that just sounds a little weird to know that the Spirit of God dwells in you, you need to know this. The Holy Spirit is gentle and kind Holy Spirit's never going to make you do something that you don't want to do but the prompting of the Holy Spirit will nudge you and encourage you to step out of your comfort zone like you heard Robin and Ed talking about to to walk in your sonship or daughtership as as a child of God and to minister to others Maybe just by saying a caring word. Maybe by just engaging them on a difficult day. Uh, Maybe by praying for them or asking how you can pray for them. Maybe by sharing them with the hope that you have in Jesus. So knowing this, this is what I want to challenge you to pray is is very simply, uh, like Ed does on the way to his, his appointments, you know, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Give me peace. I believe that each one of us can do this, that, that we, we can walk in the truth that we're sons and daughters of God, that we can walk empowered by the Spirit. And the last thing that I want to say is this. This is all part of God's plan. Now, my challenge to each one of you as we end this series on the Beatitudes is to actually spend some time over the next couple of weeks reading the entire Sermon on the Mount. That begins from Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 and goes all the way through the end of Matthew chapter 7 and and I just want to give one verse that summarizes really the plan that God has for us and it's from Matthew 6 33 it's this seek first the kingdom of God and above all else live righteously and he will give you everything you need so Jesus is telling his followers walk in as his sons and daughters, filled with the Spirit, spirit, and walk knowing that you're putting the kingdom of God first. So seek him first. Seek his kingdom first when, while, you, while you go through your week. You know, whether you're going to work, seek his kingdom first. If you're going to school, seek God first. If you're hanging out with friends or neighbors, seek him first. If you're, uh, you know, going to the gym or going to the store, seek him first just say God what do you want me to see what do you want me to observe who do you want me to connect with folks uh, I hear this time and time again I'm so busy I'm so busy 
That's the culture that we live in. That's the world. So we can either live in the world and do everything it does, or we can seek the kingdom of God first and prioritize that. And that may call us to step away from the busyness. The busyness. So I want to challenge you to walk in your sonship and your daughtership empowered by the Holy Spirit, seeking his kingdom first. I'm going to invite Dan and Beck up. They're going to close with a song. It's the song that, it's a really special song to me. In fact, I'm not going to sing in front of you, stand up, because I'll probably cry, because it, it, it represents a time in my life um, when I had to basically step out on the theoretical waters of a dad and let my daughter go off to college. And um, uh, I was, honestly, I was a blubbering idiot. And we went to a closing worship song, a service, and this was the song they sang. And it, it's become like a, a prayer for me. So I, I went, please stand up and, and sing this and, and let the words wash over you and trust what Jesus wants to do in your life through this. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.